Forward is the groove. Slightly transformed. Just a bit of a break from the norm. It's just a little something to break the monotony of all the hardcore dance. That has gotten to be a little bit out of control. It's cool to dance. But what about the groove that soothes, that moves romance? Give me a soft, subtle mix, and if it ain't broke, then don't fix it. And think of the summers of the past. Adjust the bass and let the Alpine blast. Pop in my CD and let my, me run a rhyme. And put your car on a cruise and lay back, because this is summertime. Summer, summer, summertime. Time to sit back and unwind. Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Sinclair, with my co-host, Drew Garrison. Today, I hate you so much for these We have intros. an amazing guest, Amitesh Dial. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. What the fuck is up? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so that one was 54 seconds long, and I think people tuned out at 33. Absolutely oh, you're I would have listened to every second of that intro. Thank you That's for that. That's why we're friends. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. That's okay. You haven't had to sit through as many of these as I have. That's a, so, that's a fact. That's a fact. You know, there's there are a couple that, that I enjoy. This what was one. your favorite so far? Was it DuckTales? Um, yeah, and the reason being is because since then, I have been watching a lot of DuckTales. <laughs> so it had a profound impact on me that I have continued to watch DuckTales. That's over it, the- man. I just get in your brain. That's you it. do. You, you, you plant these seeds and then they just, you know, grow. And so I've been like trying to get, you know, Hensley, my daughter, to, to watch DuckTales. She doesn't, but I do. And it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's been fun hey man um what are you drinking right now who me yeah you we'll start with you okay. and then and then we'll go to tesh all right i i'm actually drinking uh the pinot noir from tesh's last uh uh wine talks with tesh the uh the three degrees pinot noir from uh, uh from oregon wow it early is club. freaking yummy that's it's an early plug but also i figured it was a really great reason to drink it because i didn't want to go through too many other conversations until i had had it with tesh and have him yell at me for not having had it <laughs> i would have so totally I figured I, I figured i figured i would drink it while talking to him and that would suffice that's awesome that's also i have i have the whole bottle in front of me because um my my daughter didn't really want to go to sleep tonight so it's i'm probably going to need the entire bottle Oh God, I know the feeling. I know. Yeah, uh, Tesh, what are you drinking, brother? I am drinking banknote scotch, the five nice. which can be purchased at Good Bottle. <laughs> ah, good looking out, homie. Hey, you know <laughs> that is a that is a solid workhorse scotch, without question. Absolutely, I'm a big fan. We'll have to introduce you to Isle of Sky. We'll do a little taste test, see what you think. I would love to. It's a, it's a nice, fun competitor for that one. But Banknote's great. I really, really dig their stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, AD Retray as a whole, like as a company. Yeah. Uh, I it, It's sort of like my my dream job is is to have that job of to like to travel the world and 
buy all the dope booze and then have people buy that dope booze from me. I mean, it's kind of like what I'm already doing, but you know, more traveling involved. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, assuming, assuming you can make this good bottle thing work and then we can travel again, you know, and it's probably, that's probably a lot closer than it's ever been. Right. I In think that's that opportunity. Yeah. What are you drinking, Drew? Um, I am sipping on the Habitation Velier um, Savannah Reunion Single Rum. Um, so this is the one that we actually shared together just the other day. Um, That's right. This is a very special bottle to me because I ended up going down the rabbit hole of uh, Reunion Rums probably about four to five weeks ago. And now when, just when you my... say reunion, do you do you want to let our listeners know what you mean? Yeah. So reunion is a small island off the coast of Madagascar. I re- realize how ridiculous that sounds, but it's a real place. Um, it's a French island and they've been producing rum for hundreds of years, but we rarely, if ever, see it in the U.S. And so I actually am fortunate enough to have a blended rum in my portfolio that has reunion rum in it. And so when I was doing research on it, I kind of ended up going down again, like I said, the rabbit hole and just couldn't find anything on it. And then I reached out to all of my kind of rum mentors and nobody knew shit about reunion. And then eventually someone stepped up big and it was, you know, by no surprise, Kate Perry. Um, yeah, it's not a just, surprise. Right. Who's just amazing when it comes to rum. And she was like, Oh yeah, you know, this is what it's all about. She ended up like, given me a ton of information, a bunch of pictures and stuff too, which was just like, how do you have all the stuff all the time? But they did a release. <laughs> um, so she's like the global ambassador for Habitation uh, Velier. And um, she was like, yeah, we did this release a couple of years ago, but you can't get it anymore. And then my counterpart down in Southern California found it and he was like, do you want a bottle? And I was like, that's the dumbest thing you've ever asked me. Yes, I do. And so he sent it up and it's just, it's the most, it's one of the most bizarre rums I've ever had. It's uh, it's definitely one of the more interesting spirits I think I think I've I've ever had. It is incredibly well made, as kind of all things habitation habitation Valier are. Yeah, um, but it's it is like I said, it smelled like bubble gum, and then it was it was really hot and grassy, and but not grass. I don't know. Like I'm still trying to like take apart those tasting notes in my head. Yeah. Yeah, it's it there's a lot going on. Um but it's that's fun. the shit it's that it. I love about this though, man. Like like coming across booze that's just that interesting makes Yeah, well, well and makes and what even, we do so interesting. And even more so it's the fact that when I reached out to people, I mean I remember at, at one point, um Travis Baker, who, you know, one of our good friends and really educated person on booze in general, was just like, he straight up was like, how the fuck do I not know anything about reunion? I was just like, dude, I don't know. I didn't know anything either. And I didn't even know it existed as like, you know, geographically. Right. (laughs) Right. I didn't know and he, you guys just talked about it. So dude, <laughs> thank you for sharing. <laughs> absolutely, man. It's it's just one of those things. Like it, it like I said, it was a rabbit hole and and it was fun because, you know, I love learning new things and when it was when it became so difficult to figure out, and I don't know if you guys are like this, but like I was just like I went into like this super sleuth mode and I was just like, I can't believe I can't find information on this. And I'm going through all of my rum books and, you know, reached out to all these different people doing these deep dives on the internet. 
And um, and I was like really kind of getting my rocks off. I was just like, this is amazing right now. I can't find out anything about it. Like, why is this so like weird and different? So it was it was fun, and I was really happy to you know to have the happy ending where I was actually able to get a bottle of it and stuff. So um, so Chris, I know you've had it. Tesh, we'll have to meet up and let you try this because it's just a total mind fuck in terms of how it tastes. Dope. Yeah. Um, so with that said, that's what we're that's what we're sipping on. And Ted, wait, wait, what's Tesh drinking? Did he say? Oh, uh, banknote. Yeah, oh, that's bank right. Note. You said it. Ah, that's my bad. That's yeah. that's like where my wife says you don't listen to me, and I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I just texted her and told her that you said that that you that's, that you ignored me, and so she's going to hit you again with that. She's going to be like, you don't listen to Tesh. Yeah. Uh, the last thing my wife wants to do is suggest that we hang out more. So Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a uh that is a serious uh affliction that many of my friends I should say many of my friends' spouses have. <laughs> it's a it's a slippery slope with you. I mean I know there was one time where I walked into one of your guys' tastings and then by the time it was all said and done, we were drinking um freaking red spot by the end like we yes. started with wine and then it would just devolved into like one of your friends was like i'm gonna go buy this bottle of red spot downstairs and it was like okay here we go and, and um, then we tried to record a podcast and it didn't work oh god that's right it was so bad it was Oops. so and that's bad. when i apologized as some of our listeners might remember that's tesh's fault yeah you can all blame him now you know. That's, I'll take that's it. Sorry. so funny. <laughs> My apologies. That was listeners. that was the yeah yeah. I I remember just getting done with that and I was like, we can't release this. This is so bad. <laughs> it was like, so bad. I don't I mean like listening to listening to the um the recording of it. I think I got through maybe three minutes of it before I just turned it off. <laughs> like you yeah, yeah it, it was yeah, it was like trying this. to get my two-year-old's attention and like getting you to focus <laughs> on questions and stuff because literally everything else in the world that day was more interesting to you than what we were trying to talk about it's fair it's you like just you know i just i like squirrels and shiny things you know what i mean oh man it reared its ugly head that day um so you, you know over the past couple of weeks, we've kind of changed up the the format of the show, and um, tonight's going to be no different. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know it just doesn't seem like anything that is in the headlines in terms of the spirits industry just really matters right now. And it's not the conversation that we really want to have with you guys. And so, with that being the case, you know, we, you know we're we're gonna somewhat stick to it like we have one one headline for you guys which we'll talk about briefly but then what we're going to do is we're really going to jump into kind of tesh's career and some of the things that he's faced uh, as a sommelier and then into becoming a um a sales rep for wine so with that being said jumping into our one and only headline today is Diageo announces a $20 million community fund to support social justice in America, helping black communities and businesses recover from COVID-19. The global beverage leader announced the Diageo Community Fund, 
with $20 million of support for businesses, consumers, and partners across the hospitality industry. It is targeted donations. Giagio will help to address disproportionate social and economic impact of COVID-19 on black communities and businesses. The company reinforces commitment to inclusivity, diversity, and zero tolerance for racism and injustice. Chris, when you saw this, what were your thoughts? Uh, my initial thought was dope. That's, I mean, $20 million is nothing to scoff at. It'd be nice if I even had, you know, a 10th of that money. Um, but my second thought was how, uh, I feel like we have seen over the last few months, a lot of companies suggest that they were going to give money you know, to solving the social ills of our, our population and and the world. Uh, And the methodology of it seems lackluster. You know, it seems not really thought through, which means that it, it kind of just comes down to the headline, right? Like the people, they just want to get that headline out there to say, Hey, we are doing this. So that way they get that goodwill. And that way people feel good about, consuming their products. Um, it's not really about the how and the why now that might be unfair for me to say at this point in time, um, you know, maybe the backroom talks that they're having, uh, are, are actually getting in depth about ways that they can, they can actionably create good in the world, which I, I think is, is fair to give them that benefit of the doubt for $20 million. I think the other side of it though, is why do we have to wait for companies to give us the $20 million to create good in the world? Why, why can't we ask our communities to create the good in the world for us without giving money that we've already spent to these companies? But that's, that's a whole other uh, uh, line of thinking that we might not be ready to go down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair to, to them, um, within their press release, although they didn't say specifically what they're going to be, you know, contributing to, they did say that they will be announcing specific, um, specific investments from the fund in the coming weeks. So this is obviously a story that will continue to follow and, um, see what they do. I mean, you know, obviously when they made the news, you saw it all across all the social media is like, every rep brand ambassador and stuff was sharing the story, but it's kind of like, okay guys, but where's it going as how's it going to be used? Um, Tesh, did you see this story this week or is this the first time you're hearing about it? Uh, this is actually the first time I'm hearing about it. Yeah. So they didn't do that great of a job. That's what we're, yeah. that's what we're, that's what we're seeing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, would, I would be curious to, to find out, you know, like where, where exactly that goes and how exactly, like, how does that come into fruition? Right. Like to, to your uh, Chris's point. Um, cool. Cool. Like same thing. Right. Like the initial reaction is like, that's dope. Um, what a, what a great stance to take as a company, but uh, what does that, what does that look like? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and and it, who's, who's like keeping them accountable right for for doing things the right way or or just doing things at all you know it's one thing to have a headline it's another thing to actually do something right well they have a um they actually have a group it's called the Diageo's African Heritage Employee Resource Group 
who in this in this press release will continue to help the company focus on the priorities and actions that will make the most meaningful impact to the black community both inside and outside of Diageo. So the fact that they have people, you know, a, a group dedicated to that is is obviously a positive. Um I th- I think one of the something that's really impressed me with Diageo over the years is their as a company they they've been ability their ability to sort of look forward and approach um markets they might they might not have deemed worthy um i don't know um given market research or whatnot you know they they a few years ago i was watching them make huge headway into into the continent of africa um they were trying to build up that as the entire continent as a market group for them and and they realized that it was a it was going to be a slow burn. And so they, they created um, inventory that would work and spoke to people's desires on the, on the continent throughout, you know, all the, all the countries of Africa. So that way they could develop that and get people to want to drink Guinness and get people to want to drink Johnny Walker and, um, you know, and, and really develop it. And they were willing to invest the money to do so, which I think is kind of impressive as a company. Um, it might be seen as sinister, but I, <laughs> I, I actually think that the, the investment of time and energy uh, in, into Africa is, is, is pretty impressive really um, given what we know about Diageo and given sort of like what their, um, their namesake is built on, you know, these, these boutique brand, not boutique brands, but like the, um, the, the, you know, top tier brands, uh, you know, being willing and having the foresight to see, see a whole other market, um, and, and being willing to, to work with it and build it up, I think is kind of impressive and, and shows a lot of foresight on, on the, on the company side. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, we'll continue to follow up and and see, um, you know, what what comes of it. But obviously, like you said, twenty million dollars is nothing to uh, to scoff at, and you know, it's it's part of this ongoing conversation that's come to the forefront um, of our industry right now, and it's something that you know all of us can can be better about. So it's uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with it and you know i do have faith that it's gonna be positive so and you uh, you know i don't say that often about diageo so um that's 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 very true so that's just where i I fall on it but enough of the headlines and all that stuff again our our guest tonight is going to razzle and dazzle us with stories of wine and accomplishment and other fun things i don't know let's see what happens but um but Tesh, for for our listeners at home, why don't you just tell them a little bit about yourself and how you got into the industry and you know where you find yourself today? All right. Um, geez, it's kind of a long story, so I'll try and put this in a quick nutshell because I don't want to bore people to death who want to hear my life story. Thank uh, God. Hosp- <laughs> hospitality has always been uh, a little bit uh, inherent to me, just uh, culturally. Uh, just growing up, right? Um, when people come over to your house and uh, it was different back in the day, it's not like today where like people have to call or schedule a time to have a dinner date, like family would just show up. 
Uh, and when that happened in my house, uh, everything was dropped. It didn't matter what was going on. You dropped everything. And then it became like, make them tea, put out something for them to eat. Have they eaten? Make them a meal. Uh, it was just very uh, encompassing of like making people feel uh, all the warm and fuzzies when they come to visit you, right? And so that translated later into my life into getting wanting to get my foot in the restaurant industry. Um, and I eventually landed my first uh, serious restaurant gig at Morton's uh, here in downtown. Uh, and uh, I've been in the restaurant industry, or I, I should say I was in the restaurant industry for 11 years. Um, and then uh, and then I got into wine sales in the last year and a half or so. Just perfect timing, right? Getting into those wine sales. Great time to be in wine sales. Absolutely. It's, it's almost as good as Chris's timing of open up a shop. It's like right. who <laughs> made the better decision. Yeah. Um, so I need this judgment on my life choices right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, in in becoming a sommelier, like let's let's focus on on that. Um, wine is a is a you know kind of something that eludes eludes both me and Chris like we enjoy the hell out of it and we've really been on this fun adventure of trying new wines and leaning on people like you and and other friends to kind of take us on this journey and teach us more about it but for you in, in becoming a sommelier like what was that what was that process like and you know what were some of your takeaways from the process um, the process was, was a very fun one, right? Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, wine is fun and it's fun to imbibe and be educated at the same time. Uh, and then wake up the next morning and try and see how much you actually remember. It's great. <laughs> um, no, it, it's for me, for me, like I got spoiled in the world of wine, right? I didn't drink until I was like 23 and then I decided to make a career out of it. Um, and for me, like my first glass of wine, I was hanging out with my cousin um, in San Francisco and he poured me a glass of wine and I was like, Whoa, this is really good. Uh, I've never really been a big fan of wine. And he was like, it's like, he, I don't even remember who the producer was, but it was like a 1960 something German Riesling, Holy shit. right? Like he, yeah, he didn't, it was amazing. And I felt really bad cause I like chugged my glass, which probably after you've hung out with me is not that much of a surprise. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I chugged my glass and I was, and he was like, whoa, 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 dude, take it easy, man. It's like a 1960 German Riesling. Like, enjoy that. And I was like, oh, okay, my bad. Uh, can I have another one? And he reluctantly poured me another glass. Um, and so I got drawn into the world of wine because of that um, and just kind of started, you know, I did the, the same thing that a lot of people do. I started with the sweet stuff. Um, and eventually, somehow, I, uh, I had a glass of red wine uh, that just knocked my socks off. Uh, I actually remember which red wine it was. It was Cornerstone Cabernet. And uh, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I got to know more about this. Eventually, that turned into, you know, being in the restaurant industry, wanting to learn more. Um, and really, it was like I wanted to I wanted to <laughs> I was a host at Morton's and I wanted to climb the ladder and get further into my career there uh, in the restaurant industry. And my a my AGM and my GM both came. I you know I was having conversations with them about uh, where what I can do to take the next step to get into serving. Um, and they said, uh, you know, learn more about wine. And you know, so I picked up a book uh, and I started reading. And then I kept reading and uh, started selling wine. Like right when I sat people uh, at the restaurant, 
which pissed off a lot of servers, which is funny because it's like doing the work for you, bro. Yeah, I'm you're making them. Like, you're making them money. I made them money, you know. But like, there were people would get like upset. They'd be like, "Oh, well, you sold them this bottle, uh, and you know, I was gonna try and sell them like a like a bottle of Quintessa or something." You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, but that's not what they wanted. <laughs> And I get where they're coming from, right? And it, it, part of a part of you know being a server is about sales and stuff. But like, you gotta you gotta strike. You know, there, there's a place to sell your five hundred dollar bottle. There's a place to just get the person who's ordering what they want, right? And mm-hmm. you have to be able to learn to read that. And um, and so anyway, so I that that really just like kick kick fired it, right? And I remember uh, this is actually kind of funny. I remember one time I, I rang in a bottle of wine for a guest that I had just sat and I went up to the server and I was like, Hey, they want a bottle of Planeta Chardonnay. And they came back to me at the front desk thinking that they were going to like throw me under the bus or something in front of the managers. And they're like, Hey, you told me to bring them a bottle of this and we don't even carry that. And I was like, actually we do. It's on this page. Here's the PLU number. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, Ooh. And she kind of like tucked her tail and like walked away and my my bosses were like, our host knows more about our wine list than our servers do, and that got me my first promotion. And then it That's just took awesome. off. And then so and then it turned into just like my career, right? Just the the trajectory was just always involved with wine. So that turned into being a manager at at Piatti and running the bar program there and a very small wine list. Uh, eventually, I got a call from Ella. They asked me to come join their team. Uh, which was huge. Uh, and I went and did, this is actually funny. I actually went from running a bar program to running the non-alcoholic program at Ella, uh, which is really funny. Cause like, what exactly does that mean? It means that it means that I ordered coffee and soda. That's all it meant. Um, Whoa. yeah, but you know, they, they needed help with managing it cause it wasn't really being managed. So I said, listen, I'll do this, but I, I really want to be involved more in the wine program. Um, and then my, my one year anniversary at Ella was rolling around, um, and they were like, Hey, uh, we would like to ask you to come join us at the kitchen and be the song there. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. By that point I had already had my, (laughs) by that point. Right. I mean, like, who's going to say, no, no, man, I don't want to do that. No, it was great. It was a great opportunity. Um, by that point I had already had my level one song certification, Right. There's four different levels. I had passed my level one intro SOM exam. Um, And then when they asked me to, I should say, when they gave me an official job offer uh, that very same day, I signed up to take my level two exam. And then I started the job. And for four months, I just studied my ass off, like studied nonstop. There was no TV. There was no music. I listened to podcasts about wine. If I watched any television, it was it was completely related to uh to wine in some way, shape, or form. Like when I went grocery shopping, uh, my wife would quiz me the entire time. Um, and then four months later, when I actually took the exam, I passed. And I, and I, that got me my level two SOM certification. Um, for our listeners who might have like some idea of what a sommelier is, um, can you break down both uh, the di- like what it means to to work as a sommelier versus let's say what the certification means. Good question. Yeah. So, so the certification really, I mean, like you got to think of the certification. It really is. It's, it's a test, right? Um, there's a lot of book knowledge. There's a lot of theory. 
Um, and then a portion of the exam is service, right? But in in the real world, right, I this is my own two cents. I, I think that service is above and beyond all of it. If you can't knock down service and how to make seem make someone feel warm and fuzzy about this how much ever $100 bottle of wine you convince them to buy, right? If you can't make them feel good about it, you kind of lose all of that. Um, so certification, great process. It, it carries weight in, in, the, in the restaurant world, right? Um, because it kind of means that you, you actually put some time and effort into, into knowing about something. And so it gives you a little bit of a focus. Um, but do you have to have it? Not necessarily. Some of the, the the smartest wine people that I know don't have any certifications. Um, but that being said, it doesn't hurt to have it either. Actually, uh, I, one time I, when I was at the kitchen, I had a guest. They looked at it. This is before I had taken my level two exam. I had a guest. Literally, they they leaned over. I was about to open their bottle of wine. And they leaned over and they looked at my level one pin. And they were like, actually, can I get the level two some to open that for me? <laughs> and you know it was one of those moments where i was like i had to take a deep breath and be like yep you sure can send them right over <laughs> so to some people it means a lot more than others uh in my head it just it just kind of gave me like a like a validation stamp in in my my role uh and a little bit more in my community uh in the I wine world I think that it's really important to point out to people that um, that the kitchen, uh, which you worked at, which you ran the wine, you ran the wine program for, right? Like yeah. when you were there, you were, and just after you left, they or while you were there, they earned their first Michelin star, and they actually did. the the only Michelin star the in only, Sacramento. That's right. Yeah, it was dope. I mean, you know, I was very grateful for that uh, for my time there. Um, the day that the Michelin, so I, I had literally just left. Um, and I, the day that the Michelin thing got officially announced, we knew that we had had it right. I had known for, for a few months. Um, but the day that it got officially announced, I texted, you know, the Selen family, all of them. And I said, Hey, uh, thanks. So thanks. Uh, or I said, congratulations. Um, and they all, they all texted me back all four of them. And they were like, thank you so much for, for helping us get there because we, we you know you were a huge part of that so that was pretty that's dope. amazing yeah that's i mean that's i mean like talk about such a what an even more rare pin right i mean like you don't get a pin for it but what a rare fucking pin that you like to get in your in your collar for earning that so few people in the world get to ever earn that totally totally yeah it was definitely um yeah, it's funny. I I forget about it. It's weird. Like I forget about it sometimes. Like, like I don't know why I don't think about that more. But it, it definitely was a, a huge thing for the restaurant. Well, I think maybe being removed from it, like because it's not part of like the daily process anymore and, and stuff like that. But um, you know, while while you're studying for all these these SOM levels and you're putting together, you know, obviously this amazing program, you know, you are also um, a crazy person and having kids at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I was man. Um, yeah, it's weird, man. I, I don't know. I've always considered myself like a lifer in the restaurant industry. Right. I, I, like, I still feel like I'm a part of the restaurants that like 
I go and I visit and, um, you know, I have relationships with the staff or the, you know, the people who manage the programs. Um, so it, it definitely like when we had our first kid, it was a little bit more eye opening, like, oh, my God, like, wow, like this is this can be kind of exhausting. Right. Um, but then when we have a, <laughs> having a child or being in the industry or both, no, no, having a child while being in the industry, because <laughs> being in the industry, like it fed my soul, man. I'm a people person, yeah. right? I, I love yeah. being around people and, and just that it, it's good for me as a person. And so, um, but then when we had the second kid, uh, I was at the kitchen at that time. And that was, that was like, I can't do this anymore. Like it was, it would be like late at night, right? Like the staff would be like wrapping up their stuff. I finished up my stuff, whatever, you know, I was prepping for the next day. Um, and I would, I would literally fall asleep in my chair at my desk. And then the staff would wake me up and be like, Hey Tesh, um, you know, sorry to wake you up, but we, we're all done. And we got, we got, you know, we wanted to make sure you left with us. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that's, (laughs) that's not a good thing. Right. Like I, I, (laughs) can't just fall asleep at my desk, man. And so uh, that when that started happening, I knew that it was time to, to step away uh, and pay more attention to uh, my family. My, you know, I needed to have more uh, self-care in that, on that same note, too. Absolutely. Um, and then as you, as you made that transition, because it is a lot of people, you know, like, you know, there's kind of like, you want to be a lifer and it's almost like the trajectory is, you know, bartender and then brand ambassador, sales rep, you know, all these different, different things. It's kind of like, how do I get to your side? How do I continue to move and stuff? Like what were some of the um, challenges that you faced that you weren't expecting? Like when you went over to the sales side? That I wasn't expecting. Um, I didn't expect people to be so fucking rude. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I know wait, that I'm just, wait a minute, I'm, wait a minute. You were in service and you didn't expect people to be so rude? I didn't, right? Like I just didn't, man. Cause like when people so the kitchen was unique, especially like to so, like the last like the last leg of my my restaurant career, if people were rude to me, I would just kind of like subtly but professionally like put it back on their face, right? Like it's like, whoa. Like I had this dude snap at me one time and I was like, whoa, 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 timeout, dude. In front of his whole table, I was like, whoa, 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 timeout. Did you just snap your damn fingers at me? And they were like, oh, and I was like, man, you better call your mama or ask one of these people at your table <laughs> about some manners, bro. I'll take a lap and I'll come back and you can try and get my attention again. And I literally took a fucking lap just to prove the point. <laughs> hey, what the fuck? So, yeah. But, no, like, getting into sales, it was just different, right? Because, like, I just, I, like, I felt like I was so involved in my community um in the restaurant world like when people came to the restaurant i took care of them when i went out to restaurants right people just kind of were like oh i know you you're tesh from the kitchen um and i lost all of that and i immediately became the guy who just wanted to sell something and i was like man uh the friendship thing was like a fickle thing right like uh, especially in the sales world um so that was a was a bit of a surprise i knew that it was going to be difficult right because it's sales right um yeah i just didn't i just didn't expect my relationships to be as affected as they were which was a growing thing for me yeah that's that's one thing that you know i've actually seen a few of my friends go through right that they make that jump and it's it's a hard thing to um to make peace with right because you you're you're trying to look at 
at it through the lens of friendship and they're looking at it through the lens of business and those don't necessarily match up. Right. And, uh, I've, I've watched like people struggle with it, but then eventually they figure it out. They're like, kind of like, okay, like this is separate from what our friendship is. And that's how I go. I remember one time, um, watching or you know i was just going through my timeline and i saw you post this meme and it was like of a skeleton at a computer and it was with like the caption like this is me waiting for customers to email me back and i was and i just remember thinking to thinking myself and i might even and i probably even said it to you where i was just like i was like if you think people are going to email you back i mean you don't hold your breath buddy like this is totally this is the one industry where it is completely acceptable not to do your job and respond to people like it, Crazy, it, right? it, it blows my mind. Um, and the thing is, and, and I feel, and I feel that most salespeople feel this way. And if you just tell me no, great, at least I have an answer and I'm not spinning my wheels anymore. You know, um, now I know that's not always the case. I do know sales reps that really don't know what no means. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's more so that would love just to hear that. So they know, Hey, this is what I'm going to bring to you. This is what I'm not going to bring to you. And then instead of, you know, kind of, um, stringing me along, I can just move on with my life, but it's been fun. And I know this sounds horrible, but it's like, it's been fun to kind of watch you go through this maturation of, of being a sales rep and just like all the things that I felt years ago and watch him kind of like, Oh yeah, I remember that. That does suck. And totally. eventually, eventually he'll learn and, the, you know, you, you move on from and you figure out different methods and you figure out how, you know, who to spend your time with, who not to, and, um, and all that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird transition and it's, it's hard for a lot of people to make, you know, it's, Definitely. I like that you said maturation and not maturity. Uh, I feel like it obviously means the same thing, but it's clear where that comes from. Uh, because there's a lot of maturity in saying maturation. There's, well, it's a, <laughs> a lot of something in saying maturation. <laughs> but it's but because it, it's a process, right? You know, it is and a- and and I think because I, and mostly because I use the term a lot when it comes to aging whiskeys, <laughs> the difference between a finished barrel and a you know matured you know, barrel that it's, it's a little bit more in my forefront, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's such a process and, you know, the things that you go through, um, you know, we were talking before the show started about, you know, just how much I have enjoyed my job and not enjoyed my job and the reasons for it and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's been that process and there's been working with different people, some people that I loved working for, some people that I absolutely hated working for and the same goes for customers. Right. And, when you're the small yay at a Michelin star restaurant, you know, like everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody wants totally. to do what they can do for you because they're like, Oh, this is going to come back and they're going to, he's going to take care of me. Like if I, you know, if I go on a date there, if I want to entertain clients there and stuff like that. And then as soon as you no longer possess that power, it's just like, it just, the, the flip switches here and switch flips. And it's just, it's, it's crazy to see, um, how those conversations change, you know, definitely. And and, I mean, it makes, it definitely makes you question a lot of things as well. Um, where you're like, like, Oh, how legit was our friendship, you know, or was I just a means to an end? Um, which is, which is tough. The first time I saw that, um, was, and I knew that it was coming, which was even more eerie, um, was when I was running the bartenders guild in Sacramento and I could just like, I felt that 
presence of like that fake friendship. And, and I had this very distinct conversation that I remember with, uh, with Brad Peters, who was my vice president at the time. And I was like, yeah, you know, like with me stepping down, I know that a lot of these people are going to stop calling me. And he's like, really? You think so? And I was like, yeah, I can, I can already feel it. Cause I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to do the job anymore. And for some reason, people had that impression of, I don't know, having that cachet over our, over our industry and over our community of that position. And so people wanted to be close to me. And then as soon as I stopped with that, with that position and doing that work, there were a lot of phone calls that people would not return and people wouldn't talk to me anymore. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's, it's really crazy. It's, it's, I mean, for as honest and as sincere as this industry is, there's a, there's a flip side to that, which is a lot of people will just, they'll just play, right? I mean, we can make a lot of the people I think who are lifers in this industry, um, have the ability to make friends and see, see like-minded people pretty quickly, you know? Um, but it, it takes a very special type of person to be able to like thrive in this industry. Uh, because some people, a lot of people like that, they come in and they just, they want to get theirs, whatever that means, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I met you, Chris, and I was like, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of a big deal. And then I got to know you and I was like, oh, no, he's not like, (laughs) I actually remember that conversation. We were sitting, uh, we were sitting at, uh, uh, um, blue Q blue Q. Thank you. I was going to say blueprint. And I, I knew that that wasn't the case. We were sitting at blue Q the first time I met you and you're like, oh man. I've heard a lot about you. You're kind of, I think you even said you're kind of a big deal. And I was like, Oh man, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, definitely, you definitely, down, <laughs> like, you downloaded big time. You were very, very <laughs> humble about it. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it was funny. It was just, it was, it was a good conversation. It was a great start to such a fruitful friendship for the both of us. Um, so, you know, you think, so you, you think my friendship with you is fruitful? Absolutely. So many great conversations. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. 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 And, you know, outside of like any real, you know, gain in life. No, no, not at all. But, that's um, fair. That's you fair. know, you're always like my sounding board for stuff. Like when I don't want to like start a riot on Facebook, I text you about it. And that's, <laughs> you explain things to me and you're like, listen, white guy, this is how this goes. Um, so Holy it, shit. It, it, and you know how true that is. So um, I do. Cause we were just talking last night. So that's yeah. Fine. Um, so another, uh, another thing that we were talking about earlier, Tesh is um, so your family is actually from Fiji. And, um, I don't know of any other, um, am I saying this right? Fijian Mm -hmm. is or Fijian. I'm not sure what's, what's the right pronunciation there. Somalies. Um, No, I don't know that there are any, uh, either to be perfectly honest. Um, So you're, so you're one of one. (laughs) As far as, as far as I know, I would love for there to be someone else. I'd make them my best friend. (laughs) <laughs> maybe you can start but a facebook group best and like and reach out to them you know the the fiji sommeliers um so with that being the case and um 
you know, being a person of color, did that, did you ever feel like that was something that was holding you back throughout that process? Or did people ever not take you seriously outside of that one person who didn't want to have a level one song pour you wine? Um, I definitely, I've definitely had experiences along the way in my life, right? But I've, in terms of being a psalm, I've never, I've never felt it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I felt it in the process of being right of working a dining room. Um, like I, like I would, I would walk up to a, uh, any random guest, right, and I'd start talking to them, like, oh, you know, is there anything I can help you find in that wine list? And I'd be like, oh, do you think you could get the head psalm for me? And I would just kind of like look at them and I'd be like, absolutely, I'm here. <laughs> what can I do for you? <laughs> and uh, and they would just kind of be like, oh, oh, okay. And I was like, they'd start like getting like apologetic or, you know, start apologizing. And I'm, again, right, I've just, it was, a, it was a very specific type of dining room. So I would bust their chops and I would just be like, no, no, I totally get it. You know what I mean? Like the guy in charge is usually the white guy and I get that. That's cool, dude. <laughs> And, you didn't go and, with like the like you don't, oh is my super young face is that what doesn't convey you know um, you don't know or... it may have it may have but I mean you know I it wasn't come on I'm just kidding it was I not like that to, I like to think that like I carry myself you know what I mean in a in a I don't want to I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is I carry myself in a way where like people probably know that like if I'm like if I if I'm gonna be in charge of something I'm gonna be in charge you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I carry myself that way um, because I, I want things to be, um, I want things to go off well, right? With it, whether it's like a dinner service, like Tower Bridge, uh, whatever it might be. If I'm if I'm placed in a position to to make sure that things uh, go off without any hitches, then I'm going to take that pretty seriously. Um, so yeah, right. but no, it, explain it, it explain what explain what Tower Bridge is. Yeah, I was about to say that because oh, Tower, Tower Bridge is an amazing event, and you just can't. You know, not everyone's going to know what that means. Totally. Yeah. If you guys haven't heard of Tower Bridge Dinner, Tower Bridge Dinner is this amazing dinner uh, uh, that happens at the, oh, when does it happen? Uh, Usually in September. Um, And it's basically, it's an annual dinner uh, where they shut down the entire Sacramento uh, bridge, right? The Golden Bridge. Um, And uh, they, they host a dinner for 800 people on the bridge. Um, and it's like a, you know, it's like a four hour event. Um, people get there at like 10 o'clock in the morning, they shut the bridge down at whatever time. And, uh, they basically set a dining room on the bridge and it's this huge experience. Uh, wine is included, right? There's beverages all around. There's beer, there's non-alcoholic beverages. Uh, there's, uh, an area off the side of the river, uh, that's referred to as the promenade, uh, where that's where like the dessert reception is held. It's, it's a huge thing. Um, the tower bridge dinner is a massive, massive function. Uh, and I've worked it every year for like five, six years now. And and Um, what is, what is your position when you're working it? So, um, initially, right. I've always been on the SOM team. I've always been on the beverage team. Um, which is kind of cool because it really is like, and when you're, when you're a SOM, like you're, especially in a dining room, like you're kind of like the finishing touch, right? You provide that extra, like that extra, like flair to the dinner. Um, just with your, your ability to be hospitable, but make it, make it fun, but also, uh, just be on point with service, right? Like you're like the polish, um, to dinner. So 
so yeah, the SOM team. And then over the years, it just kind of like, I like, you know, there's different levels of the SOM team. Like you could just be like a floor SOM uh, where you're actually like just, uh, your primary focus is to get drinks onto the tables, you know, uh, make sure nobody's glass goes empty, um, setting up, tearing down. And then over the years, there's like, they've slowly kind of just moved me up uh, the ranks. So the like this last year, uh, Jeremy Reed, who's a good friend of, uh, I think all of ours, if you guys, I think yeah. you guys know Jeremy Reed. Yeah, right? yeah, he's fine. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> so Reed was in charge last year, and then it was uh, me and Andrew uh wilson were right underneath him and then we we kind of oversaw our each uh, our own halves of the bridge and then from there there's teams and then there's sections and so yeah no it's it's the tower bridge is huge google it uh look up some images <laughs> google it google it no for real though like because again you'll find some great images pop up and it's it's a beautiful thing uh and it's a lot of fun and if you somehow manage to get lucky enough to get a ticket uh, do not pass it up because it's a fun experience. I uh, I laugh because um, Googling it is obviously a, like a legitimate term that uh, bears enough weight, you know, to get people to understand. Uh, I would hope that people would get enough understanding from listening to us speak, but I, I know that I'm just for living sure. in, I'm living in my own world. Of, no, for uh, sure. I, up. <laughs> I guess when I say Google it, I guess meant in the tor- more in the terms of being able to see some visual images of what the dinner looks like. You yeah, know what I mean? I mean, the bridge real is real fucking pretty. So, you know, yeah. there you go. Um, And it has its, uh, you know, it's a big deal because it has its own, amount of drama that totally. goes along with it right i mean, totally. I mean the the point of the dinner was supposed to you know celebrate farm to fork you know sacramento being farm to fork capital of the country or world or whatever the hell that they say um but farmers can't afford to eat at it you know and then and, uh that's that's bear that bears its own weight um, totally. But it, it it definitely is its, its own experience, and uh, I have not been lucky enough to be a part of it. Which, you know, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but I, I I'll def- tell you what, man, if I'm ever in charge, bro, I'll find a, I'll find a home for you, baby. Oh, okay, hey, thanks, homie. I, uh, I I I definitely enjoy the photos online. It seemed pretty cool. It does. It always seems real- windy though. It like like as the sunset. It, it feels like every year it just gets really windy. It can. This last year was actually beautiful. Like the wind didn't pick up. It was beautiful all night long. Oh, damn it. I was really hoping for millionaires with like their hair being all blown in the wind. You know, it's funny, right? Like to, to your point though, like, I mean, like a lot of, a lot of farmers that I've run into, like, you know, just being in the, the kitchen is such a small restaurant, right? So when our farmers and our deliveries came in, I got to see a lot of those faces. A lot of those faces are at the Tower Bridge dinner. Um, hey, look and, at that. And, and the, and a lot of those faces just get invited. Like they don't even ask them to like buy the tickets. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, you're a part of this community. Come, come be a part of this dinner. Right. Dope. Um, Dope. So, That's really cool. so yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the people, um, a lot of the farmers, I should say, right. Uh, that I have run into over the years, they, they actually are on the dinner. Um, and if they're not, you know, I would hope that at some point they are because it wouldn't happen without them. Yeah. it's pretty neat. Uh, we had a local food critic who who uh, used to work for for the Sacramento Bee, who caused a lot of drama 
about uh, kicking up kick, kicking up that dirt and slinging a lot of mud about the dinner. Um, and to the point that a lot of chefs, I think, wore T-shirts saying, where where is Christmas Seas? Is that right? Is that? Oh, is, uh, my, is my history is my history correct in remembering that? If it happened, I was unaware of it and completely oblivious to it. Oh, well, um, I don't recall that happening, though. It was a lot. We were more starting to learn that Tesh isn't one for like current events. He's just like, he's just like, let's talk about wine and yeah. that's talk it. About a, talk about what I'm doing. Absolutely. Listen, man, <laughs> I have two young kids, man. I've, I have one. I have one focus. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, in speaking about what you're doing, and I, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, I'm drinking one of your wines, uh, Tesh. You've been you've been for the last couple of weeks. Uh, hosting a wine tasting virtually yeah i have yeah it's called wine talk with tesh um there's an that's the instagram handle wine talk with tesh it's also on facebook uh and basically i do uh live virtual tastings but the whole point of it uh that's different from maybe other virtual tastings that people have experienced is i really wanted to be able to get the wines into people's hands before the tasting because I, myself, when this whole pandemic thing hit, right, everyone started doing virtual tastings. And I was participating in a few of them. And I realized, I was like, man, this really sucks because I'm supposed to be tasting this wine. But really, all I'm doing is just watching you talk to me about this wine. And that sucks. And so my thought was, was like, how, how could they do it so that way, like, people could actually drink the wines? And then my thought was, man, it'd be dope if they could partner with, like, local bottle shops or local restaurants that way people could go there and buy the wines. And then that would be a form of support for the restaurant or for the shop much as yours. Right. Um, and, uh, and then it was like, well, man, it'd be dope if somebody did that. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, one of my friends was like, so why don't you do that? And I was like, uh, uh, okay, I guess. Cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess I'll do that. And then I was like, well, I kind of kicked around this idea about calling it wine talks with Tesh and as, I, as soon as I said it, like my friend's face, we were on a house party, their, their faces lit up and they're like, dude, that's a great name. And I was like, oh, well, shit. Okay, I guess I'm going to do it now because I didn't realize I had a cool thing on my hands. So, so now it's a thing. I think that's great. And it's been one of like the, um, you know, one, I think one of the positives that has come out of, uh, out of COVID and you know, stuff for our industry is that, you know, you had all these people who had ideas and stuff like that. And it, you know, really came down to, okay, we'll stop talking about it and just fucking do it. Um, and I, and to your point about, you know, actually getting the wine into people's hands, cause I, I saw that happen with some of the things that I was doing and the differences between the talks versus the actual tastings and where if there wasn't something tangible for the people who were coming to these, like, something in their hands that they could, you know, physically be touching and be a part of the discussion. It, it, you could just tell as time went on, people's interest in these virtual experiences was, was becoming less and less and less because they were just burnt out on it. You know, totally. it was like, okay, you're just, you're just talking at me at this point, And I hate that. Um, so to, so to get that into to people's hands and kind of like, Hey, now you can actually taste what I'm tasting, what notes are you getting? And then it ends up being a lot more interactive because I think what we've seen, especially now being open for a couple of weeks is that people missed interaction so goddamn much that it was just like, I'll, I'll take what I can get, you know? Definitely. And um, it's, it's awesome that 
that you're doing that. And as we as we move forward and you're starting to see more and more of this, do you do you anticipate this is something that you will continue to do? Yes, I will definitely continue to do it. Uh just for the sake of it's allowed me to get back into into wines um that is broader than my portfolio. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. Absolutely. Like Drew like, definitely knows what you mean. Yeah, that's that's one of Drew's like main main complaints about about the um uh sort of like the the sales rep and the ambassador world is that right. is that people people refuse to break from the company line and and they they don't say the things that they enjoy and they won't experience other things for fear of being seen enjoying those things. Um, and so I, I know for I think a fact, it, Drew I think gets it just, it. <laughs> yeah, I think it just, it, to me, it, it leads to this lack of authenticity and, and I understand like why people don't do it because, you know, I used to work for a company. It, this one wasn't Diageo. Um, that, <laughs> that one time I went to a BG event and I posted about the BG event and I got flack about it cause it was a brand that we didn't, we, it wasn't associated with us. And, um, so I understand why, why it's like that, but I just, at this point in my career and maybe because I do have the freedoms that I have is that I love talking about all spirits. And I think that when you're able to do that, it lends this level of authenticity to it. And, and I guess my hope is now that people have seen just how one-sided these relationships are. Cause you know, across the industry, we've seen so many people, you know, either be furloughed or just outright lose their jobs and they're not getting them back. I really hope that people take a different look at these types of roles and, or just kind of be like, hey, yeah, I want to do this, but it's important to focus on your own personal brand. And if your if your personal brand becomes you're just some corporate shell, that whatever whoever happens to be paying you that week, that's the only thing that you ever talk about and the only thing that you ever drink, then you know, I, I just I hope those days are over. They're they're not. They probably won't be. But I just I long for the day that we can work for brands and you can still talk about other things that are good because. Believe it or not, just because someone doesn't pay you, you know, you can enjoy it, you know? Totally. I agree 100%, right? And, to, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, like, how what it's like to be on the sales side, right? When I, when I was a buyer, this is the thing that I think made it really difficult for me going into the sales side. Um, I was <laughs> I was an incredible buyer, right? Like, I, I took an appointment with everyone. Like, I might have been booked out two or three weeks, um, but I, I was consistently tasting all the time just because I wanted to see everything that was out there. I mean, that's a huge, huge perk of that job, right? Mm-hmm. Is you get to curate this thing and make it anything that you want. Uh, and if you're not taking, if you're not taking all of the appointments that you can to taste everything that's out there and find out about everything that's out there, are you really doing your job to the full extent that you could or should? Can you tell um, it to my wife? Um, that'd be great. <laughs> It'd be lovely if uh, someone could explain that. That'd be. <laughs> it's it's important. I feel like it's really important, and just as much as like as what Drew's talking about right now. It's like I think it's just as important to be able to sit down. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't. Listen, there can be animosity towards me, right? Because I can't control how other people feel, like other wine reps that are out there. And I know that it, you know. I know that to some degree, it is a competition, right? But like, man, I. 
some of my some of my favorite reps over the years did turn into friends. And actually, some of those reps are people that I run into, and we end up having drinks together while we're at a client's restaurant trying to support them. And um, you know, I think that I think that you that's a that's an important highlight of of being um, a good buyer and and a good salesperson, right? Like you can you can be competitive without being a dickhead. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's. I do know, you know what you mean. There's more than enough room, at least from the way that I look at it, is like there's more than enough room on the back bar to, um, you know, to to survive, and um, it's it's like that classic thing. It's like you never know who you're going to end up working for or working with, and um, I, I just again, it comes down to the authenticity. If you're only drinking your stuff and you're only enjoying that stuff, it's just, I mean, how am I supposed to trust your palate? You know, if you're never right. At least, at least in terms of the perception, you know, like the perception is that you're only doing this stuff. Like, it's like, I can't, I can't take you seriously. And then if I do hear you talk about it in a, you know, a, a sales capacity and you maybe don't have the facts right, then like that, that respect level just goes down even further. Right. Totally. Because you're just kind of like, oh man, like everything about you is now fake, you know? And that's really hard for me to swallow is when, when people are like that, um, to be but, fair, you don't you don't respect my palate either, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. So, I not with everything, but I respect it mostly. Mostly, and and the reason that you don't respect it is based on one choice, uh, which I I take umbrage with. So you know, well, it's a maybe terrible. That's, it's a terrible choice. Like I think you're an idiot. That's what I think. <laughs> so you know, well. That's that's for the next podcast, I guess. <laughs> I just don't understand how you can have other expressions within that category and still think that one's good. That's just where I'm coming from on it. Like, hang on, I gotta know. Can we talk about this? Can we we'll talk, talk about it, what? We'll we'll talk yeah. about it. That's yeah, not no, no, no. When it's, I'm, when it's I'm not recording. fine with that. No, no, no. See, you're getting defensive. I'm fine with the world knowing. I'm I because ultimately the world's going to know how much of a classist. Uh, uh, snob you are and you need to come out of your ivory tower and come down with the plebes Damn, and, Jesus. And, and enjoy the world of booze like the rest of us do true i do enjoy the world of booze but you know <laughs> the booze that's well made and delicious um and i just don't i don't agree with your choices sometimes yeah so, well that's fair another i mean it's like the same way that i feel about like bourbon drinkers you know it's just like, get out of my face. You guys are the most boring people in the entire world. Don't talk to me about how you think bourbon's so interesting. It's not. It's just it's just not interesting. It's good, but it's not interesting. So I just I'm gonna I'll say that. That's that's what I'll say. Um okay. I do have a Shots question fired. for you. All right. Well, every, anybody, who, anybody who's ever had a conversation with me longer than seven minutes knows how I feel about bourbon. So, you know, it's um, like I said, it's good. It Bourbon is good. And that's where people get confused. They're like, oh, you don't think it's good? Like, no, no, I think it's good. I just think it all tastes the same. Um, what do you think about vodka, Drew? Well, vodka pays the bills. So, <laughs> you know, that's just 
that's just what it's that's what it's for. That's um, what it's there for. <laughs> but so so Tish, I do have I do have one final question for you. Um, All right. And I don't know if, if Chris has any more, but um, my question is um, the role of the sommelier and our current climate. Do you think it's a role that will be immediately come back into effect, or do you think that this is something that a lot of restaurants are going to look at and be like, we just we don't see a need for it at this point with like skeleton crews, you know, uh, low low attendance, low capacity. I mean, what do you see as the future for sommeliers right now? Um, okay, here's what I think. I, I think that uh, it depends on the type of restaurant, right? Um, I think like the further you get towards the coast from, from Sacramento specifically, right? Like you, as you go out towards like Napa and San Francisco, you'll run into restaurants where, where there's like a head som and all he does is like curate the program and put it together. And then you actually have like actual working floor psalms. Uh And there might be like a whole team of them who actually like do all of the inventory and manage all the sales and do all the chatting with the guests and da 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 da. Right. And then, the guy who curates the program might walk around and schmooze a little bit and make sure everything's running from a overhead perspective. Um, I think that those floor psalms will probably be slow to come back um, just because I think that a lot more of the responsibility of all of those day-to-day uh, uh, tasks, I think those are going to end up falling back on managers even more so. But what's happened in the, in the psalm position is like, it, over the years, it's not you're not just a psalm, right? Like you don't come in and just taste wine all day and you know go into dinner service hammered and and take care of people and make them feel warm and fuzzy um, about wine. Uh, I, over over time, that position has really become a manager slash sommelier position. So you have other uh, other things that you need to take care of as a part of that role, right? You're might be closing the restaurant. You might need to check out all the staff. You have to do whatever, uh, whatever else is encompassed or enclosed with the role of being the psalm. So I think in places like here in like Sacramento, uh, I think once the restaurants open back up, you'll see the psalms there. Um, and this is my end of one, right? But like when the kitchen opens back up, you can't really have the kitchen without a psalm. Um, like you just can't. Like it just it it would be really really tough. Um, to have a dinner service without somebody who's dedicated to making sure that beverages are taken care of for guests. Um, but, you know, again, that, that position is a managerial position in some way, shape or form. Um, probably the same thing at Ella, right? Like the guy who runs the program there, Nick Mellon, um, he's also a manager and he does a lot more than just curate the program uh, and do wine tastings Um so, yeah, I think that when, when you start to, what we will see here, I think that once these restaurants actually start to open back up, I think that they'll be there. Um, just because I, I don't think that the wine aspect of, of any kind of fine dining restaurant uh, is going to go away. People still love to go out. People still love to feel special. Um, just right now we have to feel special at home. <laughs> yeah. You know? Totally. So, so and I and I hope for my friends who who are psalms out there that you know that they can come back as soon as possible, um, you know, for, just for the sake of being able to have work and have some kind of livelihood, um, and also for the fact that you know it just helps you stay sane, right? Um, be, being a wine person without having somebody to talk to wine about can be it, it's challenging. 
it's challenging. Or it's even just, you know, even just being a person who is a people person and not having, uh, you know, anyone uh, to go out and like really like just be social with that. That's very challenging. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting road um, moving forward for for everybody in those in those positions and, you know, finding out who's really essential and, and stuff like that. Um, it's going to be. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where companies draw the lines and where they're like, yeah, we need this back, but we don't need that back. Um, totally. Uh, Chris, did you have any more questions? Yes, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a comment. <clears throat> and this is more to our listeners and hope, hopes that they will uh, spread the gospel. I There are people in the industry who spend their entire lives – um, learning and uh, bettering themselves both professionally and personally and emotionally. Uh, I think those are the people that we need to invest in. Um, I think not only uh, like sociologically is it the right move, but I think financially as a business owner, it's the right move. I will never as a business owner hire someone who doesn't have the desire to learn. And if someone mm-hmm. has the desire to learn as well as has already spent the time and their own money learning, then I'm going to in- invest in them by paying them whatever I am capable of doing so. And sometimes it doesn't meet up and that's and that's fine. And that's an honest conversation that you get to have. But I think as business owners and as a consuming public, what's important is, is to demand when people are coming back quote, unquote, sort of air quotes on this, coming back to whatever whatever this is that it will be. I, th- I think that it's important that that the people who are serving us are the ones that actually deserve to be there to serve us. And I hope that, that the people who are running their restaurants take time to actually consider who who it is that's at the table. A sommelier can serve a double role as someone who is educated about wine and also about the food, right? A server is someone uh, who is very educated about food and oftentimes about, about the rest of the products as well. But you know that a sommelier is educated about both. I would hope that along with the same same lines of someone who is educated about booze in, uh, across the spectrum, whether it's cocktails, whether it's bourbon, whether it's vodka, whether it's wine, that the, the, the folks who are in charge take time to, to recognize that the investment in those people will set them apart from everybody else that's just trying to open and simply just put foot on the table. Right. They those people have the ability to increase that that bottom line and and increase those sales, unlike anybody else, just just simply for their knowledge. And that's all I've got to say about that. Damn, bro. I feel like you should pick up your mic and just drop it right now. It's Don't on a, it's, it'll sound it's on like a it's on a swinging arm, so I can't pick it up. Uh, it'll sound well, very creaky. Damn, that was that was very, very well said. Well, thanks. Tesh, I've got one more question for you. Holler. 
I love the way that you talk to your kids and, and both, (laughs) both, uh, (laughs) both Drew and I are fathers. Uh huh. You have, you have a very special name for your children, which I find very endearing. Um, do you think that it's safe to share that with, with our listeners? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's totally okay. We can share that. Um, I, I very lovingly refer to uh, my children in Hindi as my Sala Makachodos. Uh, Say that again. Sala Makachodos. Mm-hmm. And uh, translated, that means my little motherfuckers. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and so and you know what? The funniest thing is my kids know that it's a naughty word because like I'll say it and my wife will just kind of like she might like make a face and be like, stop teaching them. But like they, <laughs> they they love it, man. Like they like they don't know what the little translation means, right? They obviously know it's not something good. Uh, but they will love it. I'll be like, hey man, who's my salamacachodo? And both of them will be like, We are <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't you ever forget that. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic, man. I love that. I yep. think I think as dads on this on this show, we uh uh that's a thing that we really I don't know, we take pride in. Uh yeah, Drew's a little bit farther along longer than I am, and you you're farther along than both of us are, but uh, you know, I just polished off this bottle of wine uh because I'm gonna need it to sleep because that little girl woo she did not want to go to sleep tonight, but I still love her. That's great. Right. <laughs> uh, Tesh, so can you can you remind our listeners if um, you know where where they can follow you uh, via the Instagram, social medias, stuff like that, right now? Yep, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. It's at Wine Talk with Tesh. Wine Talk with Tesh. Yeah. Great. Um, Chris, do you have any, uh, follows this week that you want to promote? Ooh, uh, yeah. The one that I told you earlier this week, I think I'll, I'll leave for another time. Uh, cause it's funny, but it, it feels a little preachy, I guess right now. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll go with, uh, uh, I, I have been following for many a season, uh, license to distill. Hmm. And uh, I get a lot of fun out of out of what they do. Uh, it's licensed, L I C E N S E D underscore T O underscore D I S T I L L. And uh, I I enjoy a lot of uh, what they do. They it's they have a lot of sort of the mixology. They've They've got a they've got a lot of bartenders just being bartenders at home and sharing a lot of things and it's I th- I th- I think it's a lot of fun. They even have a the Stanley Tucci post about sharing his Negroni that destroyed the the mixology world. So it was so funny. Uh, yeah, and maybe maybe one day we'll we'll go in depth. Maybe we can get Stanley Tucci on here to discuss his. Uh, his Negroni recipe. That'd be, you know amazing. what? It's, I think it's worth asking. I mean, why not? It's worth fucking asking. If there's anything that you have learned, Drew, is that asking never hurts. Yeah. And I've actually, I've, I got a little formula for it. I, um, I get drunk and then I do it. 
So um, <laughs> it's it's amazing. I'm fully in support of this formula. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just get I get I, I get really cocky. I'm like, why the fuck wouldn't this person want to talk to me? Facebook message, and then um, <laughs> and that's how it's I got so Carlos good. Camarina. So yeah, um, it's fucking lovely. Yeah, that worked out great. <laughs> so yeah, my next my next uh my next target is Stanley Tucci. So That's, it's fucking lovely. Uh Tesh, uh what are, who are you following on Instagram or social media that that you think other people deserve to follow? Or should Oh follow? man. I'm a terrible person to ask. Oh, I man, if you love music, follow DJ Jazzy Jeff. Hey, uh, dope. That's he perfect does, uh, with my intro uh, song. Yeah, man. On Saturday, he does. Uh, on Saturdays, he does. Uh, he calls it the Magnificent House Party, and he spins for two hours every Saturday at noon. On, and, on uh, what platform? Uh, on Inst- on any platform, actually. He's on YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, and Instagram. Uh, actually, I think he's on Twitch too. So he's kind of on everything. But if you guys are music lovers like I am, um, that's been a nice like little two hour getaway from my children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old for Twitch. I don't I don't get it, but you know, that's fine. I don't use it either, but you know. I uh, also I, I like I play video that. games, but I play them to like turn off my brain, not to pay my not bills. to stream it and yeah. Yeah. Oh, I suck fun. too much at video games to stream it and make money off of it, man. All right, here's the question though. What video game are you playing right now? FIFA twenty. No shit on what platform? On PlayStation, I f- I love FIFA, dude. Oh man, yeah. Jen won't let me buy a PlayStation until I make enough money to like pay a bill. <laughs> that's so. that's a pretty legitimate reason. Man. Well, that's you fine. Well, I don't need you, you on her side. That's okay. You might as well wait till the <laughs> PS5 comes out because I am I am waiting yeah. on the PS5. Uh, when the PS4 <sighs> came out and it had the uh, the augmented reality and the virtual reality, I like the little twelve year old that was inside of me and like also not so much inside of me and very much on the outside mm-hmm. of me, uh, giggled in glee and uh, I still don't have it. So <laughs> nice. There you are. That's what, um, that's what you get for trying to start a business is you don't, you don't, your 12, your inner 12 year old doesn't get satisfied. Well, that is weird on a lot of levels. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, we'll uh, wrap up with, with my recommendation. It's actually on Facebook and it's one of the few groups that I actually get a lot of enjoyment out of. And it's called rum history. It's just literally just that. Um, it is put together by one of my favorite people, Matt Petrick. And what he does is he shares um, historical documents from the history of rum because um, he has just access to a lot of it. And then also old advertisements and things of that nature. It's a really fun follow. It uh, doesn't get too much into the muck of what a lot of rum groups do and which I really appreciate about it. So it's called rum history. Really, really fun. Follow, follow one of the few bright spots in the, uh, in the place of rum of Facebook. So that's my recommendation to all you crazy kids out there. That's cool. I'm I'm trying to um, join right now, and their uh, question 
in order to join was uh, when and where was rum first distilled? Oh, God, I don't I don't know where that is. Um, It depends on what country you ask. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't remember that. I feel like that that is like really an intense question that uh, might get me slapped in a lot of a lot of circles that I run in. Um, well, I mean, again, I think it depends on what, what country, uh, you're in and when, and with that, because you can make a case for the the Caribbean specifically like Barbados. Um, you could also talk about, uh, some of its origins being in India actually. Um, and then let's see, Indonesia is another potential answer. Um, I don't know what. What are some other ones that you're thinking? I mean, I I, I was thinking Caribbean. Yeah, um, Caribbean, and that's uh, where my head went to. Uh, uh, and then before that, uh, I'm not sure if you could classify it as rum, but I was I was thinking the Middle East, um, because sugarcane grew there before it grew anywhere in the Caribbean because it was important to the Caribbean, and when you're looking at fermenting and the history of distillation. That's probably what distilled first. So. Yeah. But who I'm knows? Looking, I, well, <laughs> so what do you, so, okay. So you, you need to, so answer the question and then oh, we'll find I out what, what did you answer? what did you say? Oh, I said, depends on who you ask. It's a good answer. <laughs> okay. Good I answer. look forward to seeing if, if you get let in, that should get you in. Cause that's how I feel. You know, is the uh, I think it's an appropriate appropriate response. If you don't know who I am, then that's on you, I guess. My God. Uh, all right. Well, were that's... you talking about being like humble and shit earlier? Was... I don't know. It no, wasn't me. That, it wasn't it's humble. Not, that's don't not a thing that I, I said. That is not. Yeah, humble was not part of anybody's conversation. I think authentic. <laughs> yes, authentic for sure. Yeah. To be fair, uh, to be fairly honest, I mean, I I recently told somebody on uh, <laughs> I recently told somebody on Facebook they were trying to like introduce me to somebody. I was like, yeah, I already like we already know each other, bro. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess I forget. Like you were, you know, like you you knew you know people and stuff. And I was like, I was like, bro, if you don't know, you better ask somebody. <laughs> I better fucking Google it. <laughs> uh, you better fucking Google my name and see what comes up, bro. <laughs> all right homies well that was a that was a great podcast thank you guys uh so much for thinking of me and uh and asking me to to be on this i really appreciate it of course all i'm gonna say is tesh my my wife is very glad that we are not in person right now uh because i would be going to sleep at probably like 5 a.m so that is probably true oh man well, yeah, no, this was fun, man. We we appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, dishing about all the different stuff that you've got to experience. And, you know, we look forward to uh, to talking with you again in the future and, and, and all that. So we do appreciate you. Uh, and this was a fun episode. Can't wait to see what you guys think of all the fun things that we discussed. So with all that said, uh, we'll see you guys next week. And cheers to you guys. Cheers. Cheers. 
The Good Bottle Podcast is a product of Fluid Concepts. Episodes are produced, edited, and uploaded by Christopher Sinclair. The music comes to us by two very talented brothers, Leon and Chase Moore. Interact and follow us on social media at The Good Bottle Podcast.